0: I share what I've done in my own life to declutter, organize, and calm the chaos, but you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's practical, doable, and simple for those of us that want to be clutter-free. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair, a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. But this isn't just any skincare product. It's a revolution in how we treat our skin, using the power of nature to heal. That's because active skin repair is all about a little molecule called hypochlorous acid. This isn't your average ingredient. It actually mimics our body's natural immune response, working wonders to cleanse, soothe the irritation, reduce inflammation, and support the healing process. The best part is there is no sting when you apply it. We've used it in our home on everything from kitchen burns to those pesky cuts and scrapes my kiddo seems to get almost every other day. And let me tell you, the peace of mind knowing that I'm applying something non-toxic and natural yet medically graded is unbeatable. Whether it's a sunburn, rash, mosquito bite, or even more chronic skin issues like eczema or acne, Active Skin Repair has got you covered. And everyone in your family can use it because it's safe for all skin types and all ages. With over half a million happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews, the results speak for themselves. And because you're part of our podcast family, we've got an exclusive offer for you. Visit activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and use the code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off your order. Again, that's activeskinrepair.com and use code CLUTTERFREE to get 20% off your order. Trust me, your skin and your kids will thank you. You're listening to The Wannabe Minimalist Show with Deanna Yates, episode number 114. On today's episode, I'm chatting with Rachel Bailey about your parenting long game. If you're looking for more peace in your home and want a game plan for building long-lasting and deep relationships within your family, well, this is the episode for you. Hey there, my wannabe minimalist friend. Welcome back to the show. I am so excited to have you here today. And if this is your first time here, well, I hope that you walk away with some inspiration and ideas that you can use in your daily life. Today, I am thrilled to be talking with Rachel Bailey about being the best parents we can be. And no, it is not about doing more or setting unrealistic expectations. It is all about being real, both with yourself and with your children. This one was an eye-opener for me, and I absolutely loved getting to chat with Rachel. So Rachel Bailey is a parenting specialist who has been serving families for over a decade. Besides being a mother of two, she also has a master's degree in clinical psychology, a certification in positive discipline, and has provided services as an ADHD coach, in-home mentor, and therapist. Through her podcast, programs, and services, Rachel teaches parents hands-on tools for raising responsible, resilient children while reducing stress and the guilt in parents' lives. So we talk about Rachel's journey into motherhood, there's a twist there, how she went from helping teens to focusing on parents, and how she defines big emotions. There is so much good advice here, and I know you are going to love it. But before we jump in, I want to ask you a quick question. Are you subscribed to this show? If not, I want to let you know that you can subscribe right now from wherever you are listening. Go ahead and do it in the app of your choice. I'm working on some bonus content that I hope to have out very soon, and I don't want you to miss anything. And if you've enjoyed this episode, I would absolutely love it if you would leave me a rating or a review. There are these ratings and reviews are so helpful for podcasters like me, and it's helpful for others that are looking for content just like this. So, speaking of reviews, I was really humbled by this review that I recently received from M. Potter 93. And they said, quote, in two words, life changing. Love this pod. Actual advice and tips on how to create a more peaceful, relaxing home life and a place to retreat from the busy world. Practical yet revolutionary. End quote. Well, M. Potter 93, thank you so much for the kind words. I was, like I said, extremely humbled by them and I am thrilled to know that I am helping you on your journey and I look forward to us growing together. And now let's get back to the interview of the day. Give it a listen. And when you're done, head over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 114 to get the show notes for today's episode with links into Rachel's world. You'll find her podcast, her website, and all her socials. Again, you can find it all at wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 114. And now let's get to our conversation. All right. Well, hi, Rachel. Welcome to the Wannabe Minimalist Show. I am excited to have you on today.
1: I'm excited to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, my pleasure. So this is going to be a really great show. We've got a lot of busy moms, you know, that listen to this show, and I'm a mom, and so I always have questions about parenting and you know how to raise our children come up, and so that's what we're going to talk about today. So can you tell me about yourself and what led you to helping uh, parents or working with parents?
1: Absolutely, because I did not expect to work with parents. I actually <laughs> did not even necessarily want to be a parent my whole life. Um, I was studying to be a neuropsychologist. That was my goal. And what happened was I got pregnant along the way. So I didn't become a neuropsychologist. But at the time when I became pregnant and um, left graduate school, I was a therapist and saw a lot of teens at the time. And there was a lot of like this behavior that was really worrisome. I was not a parent yet, but these teens were doing these things. and, And at that point I was like, wait, you know what? I can actually take a step back and prevent some of this stuff from happening to teens if I work with parents. And at the same time, parents were asking me a lot of questions like, you know, the practical stuff. What do I do if my child is anxious or they're not doing their homework or it takes us three hours to get out of the house? So those two sort of happened at the same time. And this was it's been about 12 or 13 years that I've worked with parents. And at the time, no one was really doing this. There wasn't like parent coaching at the time, but um, that's when I started doing it just with the realization that parents needed this. It wasn't really out there. And I thought I could actually do more good if I worked with parents than as a therapist, sort of reacting to some of the stuff I was
0: seeing. I love that. Taking what was happening around you and uh, turning it into your passion. That's great. Absolutely. So, okay. One of the things, um, and you have a lot of information out there on this. So people I'm sure can find this, but why do you think that we as parents don't like talking about parenting, right? Like I don't necessarily think we talk about this with our friends or if we're struggling, we do, but I don't necessarily think we talk about it in a healthy way. So why do you think we don't like talking about it? I think there are probably
1: two reasons. This is my guess based on working with parents all the time. Number one, we're tired of parenting being the only thing in our lives. Like for so many of us, we just don't do that many other things. So it's like, if we do get away with our friends, we don't want to talk about parenting because we're tired of parenting. And I think the other piece of it is that most people I find are not very secure in their parenting. So they don't want to necessarily hear or think about more advice unless they're specifically looking for it. Because then it's like almost reiterating what you don't know, or, oh, I did this wrong. And we love our kids so much. We don't want to think about what we're doing wrong or how we're messing up. And I don't actually believe we're messing up as much as people think we are, but I think there's this, I don't want to talk about it because I'm tired of it. And then, ooh, if we do talk about it, I just don't necessarily want to know what I'm doing wrong because it's just too much.
0: Yeah, I don't want to feel icky, right? Like I'm I'm here to have a few moments with my friends to kind of unwind. I don't want to feel icky about myself all day. Exactly. And yeah, I mean, I don't understand why we all think we're supposed to know what we're doing because it's not like, you know, I mean, the first time you do anything, you got to learn, right? Right. So I think it's okay that we're learning as we go. And I'm with you. I don't think we're actually doing things as wrong as we think. I think we're all our own worst critics. I can almost
1: guarantee that no one is doing things as badly as they think that if they're even worried about that, that in itself is a sign to me of a pretty good parent.
0: There you go. I think you that nailed it right. Yeah. yeah. If you were even thinking that maybe you're not doing things right, you're probably being doing okay. Yes, <laughs> all right. I so agree. if you're hearing that and you're listening to the show, you're doing okay because you're listening to this show. At uh, and one of the things about parenting
1: that I love doing is because I, I've been speaking about parenting for so long and I guess I'm seen as a quote unquote expert, although I don't know that there's such a thing as an expert. But if I'm an expert, I talk all the time about how I mess up as parents. I do, you know, live videos where I'm like, this is what I did. And it, and I, my kids are actually turning out great. I I mess up all the time. Like I know I am and they're fine. My kids are fine. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're very resilient. And Mm -hmm. trust me, like guys, she's great. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I can tell you're not messing it up, but let's see. I mean, and we all have our moments, right? That's okay too. Like, I think that is helpful for other people to know that we all have moments where we're not who we're not the idealized version of ourselves. That's correct. And that is life.
1: And I will just say one more thing about this. And I know yeah. you probably want to move on, but no, I was a therapist for girls with eating disorders. Oh, gosh. And one of the things that I noticed is that when they thought their parents were perfect, that actually made them believe that they should be perfect. So it's actually not really red flag to me. Red flag to me. If we think we're supposed to be this, like, I never yell, I never, you know, do anything that I, that actually gives a really unhealthy image of, of what we should be to our kids. So we need to actually make those mistakes. If we're always nice to our kids, they're gonna think, oh, everyone should always be nice to me. That's not the case. So I think we just have to keep things in perspective, but it's hard to do that sometimes.
0: Yeah, definitely. You guys are probably, I don't share the video often of this, but uh, Rachel and I are on video and you should have seen my face. I was like, no, it's not me. Unfortunately, yell more than I'd like, but I do fess up to it. So, (laughs) okay, like you said, let's move on a little bit because I'm sure this is the this is the topic we're talking about the whole time. So we're not really moving away from here. But you talk about parenting being a long game, so I want to talk about that. What do you mean by the long game? So
1: basically, because we're so busy and overwhelmed, many of us with parent when it comes to parenting, and what I really specialize in is behavior and emotions. So I help with how do we raise responsible, resilient kids who can handle the fact that life isn't always gonna go their way. I actually have a a niche in helping kids with big emotions. We'll talk about that in a minute, I'm sure. But so when it comes to parenting and we want our kids to be resilient and responsible, we kind of use some of these strategies that I call band-aids. And long-game parenting is the opposite. Band-aid parenting is where we're like, what's the best punishment to get my kid to change their behavior? Or how do I get them to stop melting down the fastest? And if I give you something you can do in the moment, that's a Band-Aid. What I talk about when I say long game parenting is what are the strategies that actually get deeper than making your child change in that moment so that they are internally motivated to behave more responsibly, to be more resilient, not what can we impose on them to make them stop doing what they're doing, but how can we teach them to be successful? And that's really the long game. So if you think about it simply, it's not how do I punish them to make them feel worse? so they do better. It's how do I teach them to do better? So they want to, and know how to do better. And that's long game parenting. And it Mm -hmm. doesn't actually take longer to do this. I always say that it doesn't take longer. It's just a different way of parenting. And it takes the same amount of time.
0: Hmm. That's really interesting. Yeah. Okay. So we're using the same amount of energy Mm -hmm. and we're using the same amount of time, but we're just tweaking the way we're the kind of the carrot we're hanging in front of them, right? Is different. We're using the it's, carrot, not the stick, right?
1: But it's really about the way we think about their behavior and the way we approach their behavior. That's the only difference. What we say in the, how we think about their behavior and what we say in the moment, that's what changes. Not actually, again, it doesn't take longer. Yeah,
0: sure. Okay. So you were talking about big emotions Okay. So let's talk about that. What do you see are big emotions? How can we kind of get around them? Because I would imagine that as your child is having these big emotions that I'm assuming you're going to describe, it also then brings up bigger emotions in you. So let's start yes. with what are big emotions and, and then go from there.
1: Yes. So again, my goal is to help raise responsible, resilient, confident kids that's basically what I help parents with. And what happens often is in order to do that we have to set boundaries, we have to create transitions. And there are certain kids who have a hard time with boundaries and transitions and uncomfortable feelings. And these are kids that I say have big emotions. And all that means is that they tend to feel things more strongly or more deeply. I personally am a deep feeling person. I'm what's called a highly sensitive person. And there are kids who just feel things strongly and they could react. Big emotion kids sometimes react big. They have the meltdowns. They're the kids who like go from zero to 60 out of the blue. You're like, wait, you were just fine. And now you're upset or the kids who are like bossy and strong willed. These are kids with big emotions, but big emotion kids could also be ones who um, are very sensitive to criticism. It's not necessarily that they're loud. They just, you see them shut down when someone criticizes them or they get really upset when an animal gets hurt. So to me, big emotions just mean that your child feels things strongly and you can see that they have a reaction to what's going on both inside and outside of them. That's what it means.
0: Hmm. So a little bit different than I was actually thinking. So thank you for clarifying that. Okay. So what are some strategies we can use to help our children who have these big emotions or feel really deeply, which is a fantastic trait, right? I mean, it's great that it you is. can have so much empathy and you don't want to discourage that part, but then how can you kind of help protect them so that they don't take it on so much, right? right. What do you do there? You know how life doesn't stick to a schedule? Well, why should your paycheck? That's where Earn In comes in. It's an app that lets you access the money you've earned right when you need it, not just on payday. Imagine this. Your dog suddenly needs a vet or your kid has a little accident and needs a dentist. ASAP. We've been there. And waiting for your payday in those situations just doesn't make sense. And it adds unnecessary stress. With EarnIn, you can pull up to $100 per day or up to $750 each pay period directly from your earnings without the crazy fees or interest rates. It's super simple. Download the EarnIn app, verify your paycheck, and get access to your earnings as you earn them. You decide what to tip, and whatever you use gets settled on your next payday. More than 3.5 million users are finding relief and a sense of security with EarnIn, calling it a lifeline for financial stability. That peace of mind, it's priceless, and it could be yours. Ready to give it a try? Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the EarnIn app, type in clutter under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help out the show. That's clutter under podcast. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC.
2: If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast.
1: Yeah, so what I teach parents is how to teach your kids to have their emotions but not let their emotions control them. Mm. And your question is a good one. How do you do that? Obviously that's what I teach for, for <laughs> in all of my material, but to give you a 30,000 foot view, yeah. what we really have to do is help kids recognize their emotions and help them, you know, regulate through their emotions. So for example, if your child gets frustrated and they say, I hate you because they're frustrated, usually to your point, Dana, you just said this. Usually what we say when they're, when they say I hate you is you can't say that to me. And we get upset because of the way they've shown their emotion. Mm. And what we actually need to do is recognize, okay, your child just said they hated you simply because their emotion is bigger than their coping skills. That's all that is. Their emotion was really big. They don't have great coping skills because most of us don't. We don't need to get triggered by that. And this is what I teach parents. How do you not get triggered? That's what I talk about, but we don't need to get triggered because when we don't get triggered by the emotion, we teach a child, you can have an emotion, but it doesn't control you. So that's one of the first places we start is in not getting triggered by our kids behavior, which is really just a symptom that their big feelings were bigger than their coping skills.
0: Hmm. Okay. I like that 30,000 view. That's great. Okay. So let's talk about what advice you might give parents to help them get on the same page, right? So in my world, we're always talking about decluttering and keeping a clean house. And, you know, oftentimes there is a struggle there between parents and their children. And, you know, parents want it one way. Kids are like, I don't understand. You know, what do you, how do you recommend people get on the same page as a family?
1: So, um, on the same page with the spouse or with their kids, because it's a little bit different. Let's
0: do, let's, uh, let's say the spouse is already on the same page because we're talking kids. Let's do kids.
1: Okay. So with kids, here's one thing we have to understand is that their agenda is not the same as ours. Mm -hmm. And even their sense of time is not the same as ours. So if we say (laughs) you have to, you know, put your dishes away so we can get out of the house. They're not, they don't actually, they think in terms of task, not time. So they want to, you know, just because we have to get out of the house at seven o'clock, they're in the middle of doing something and they're not necessarily going to stop what they're doing because they want to complete the task. So their agenda is different. Their sense of time is different. So what we have to do as parents is if we want to get them on board is we have to show this is how the house works through consistency and routines and expectations. And I teach a lot about being consistent with your routines and expectations. We, we become consistent and then we give kids the tools they need to handle the discomfort of I didn't want to do that. I didn't want to put my place, put dishes away. I don't want to get my shoes on. That's an uncomfortable feeling. They need to know they have to do it, but they also have to know how to handle the feeling that comes up when they don't feel like doing something. And often what this looks like, practically speaking, is it's time to get on shoes and we can help them. They're they're actually techniques I use to motivate kids to want to. But let's say they just, you tried all those other techniques. They don't want to. I'll tell you what those are if you want in a minute. But let's say they don't want to. Sometimes it's just, look, it's time to get your shoes on and we let them get upset. Hmm. And what happens is they're upset. If we don't get sucked into their upset, they start to learn, oh, I can actually handle this feeling of discomfort. I'm actually... I discomfort isn't the end of the world. So then they start to learn they can do uncomfortable things like pick their towel up off the floor. The problem is a lot of kids resist discomfort and we can teach them how to handle it.
0: So uh, it's not just kids that resist us. Comfort. We all do, right? None of us want to be uncomfortable. Right. Um, and so, right. If we haven't gotten ourselves around that too, it's probably harder for us to share that with our kids. So let's talk about some of these techniques because maybe it'll help us as adults yes. start to get over that <laughs> uncomfortable yeah. or comfortable with being uncomfortable type of yeah. thing. Yeah. So we can do something before we get to the discomfort or
1: before we have to be that really firm with our kids. So um, I talk about this place of discomfort. I actually call it yuck. That's the term I use. Anyone who's heard me speak knows I talk about yuck. That's the discomfort before we even get there, though. We can actually motivate kids to do things like clean by understanding something called executive functioning skills. So executive functioning skills are the skills required to plan and execute responsible behavior. The part of the brain where these skills live doesn't develop till the mid Mm 20s. So if you're talking about a four year old, eight year old, even 16 year old, they don't have these skills. So one of the skills is to do boring things. That's actually an executive functioning skill. And I would say most adults still have trouble with this one. But one of the ways we help them clean or do something is to teach them the skill to create engagement in the task. So let's say they have to clean the room. They have to put away their toys. Just saying to them, put away your toys is really boring and their brain is actually going to resist it. But saying, hey, why don't you put away your toys by sticking your tongue out the whole time? Why don't you do it with one hand behind your back? Why don't you put away first the red toys? Then let's go to order of the rainbow, red, orange, yellow. Creating engagement actually provides the executive functioning skill that they have not developed. Hmm. So we can actually teach them those skills on their own. And I've worked with thousands of families where we've taught how parents teach their kids how to do the things they don't feel like doing so that parents don't have to get to the point where they have to let their kid just be upset. Mm -hmm. When you know these executive functioning skills, it just goes better.
0: Yeah. That is fun. I really, I mean, you guys heard me laugh out loud. I love that. Stick your tongue out the whole time. Yeah. Be silly. Make it silly. Sing a and song, it's actually not, right? Things like that.
1: Yeah. And yeah. it's not meant to be fun per se. It's meant to work with their brains. It's because mm-hmm. that's what I'll hear from parents. Well, Rachel, life isn't fun. No, it's not. <laughs> but your kid needs to learn to clean. And when they create this engagement in the cleaning, guess what? They do it. So if you work with kids' brains, saying to them, just clean doesn't work with their brains. It's not the way they're wired.
0: Right. And what outcome do you want? Do you want them to clean their room or do you want them to learn that life is not fun? Well, maybe, maybe we can make life a little more fun. Maybe we all don't have to be so darn serious as adults either. Right. Maybe we can clean our house with our tongues out or sing a song or put things away, you know, one color at a time. Who knows? It actually works (laughs) for
1: adults too. And a lot of us like, listen to music. We're doing the same thing. We just don't realize we're doing it.
0: Yeah. Mm, There you go. See, so it, Guys, it doesn't have to be so boring. Life can be fun. You don't have to be so serious. <laughs> I'm working on not being so serious in my own life, so <laughs> talking to myself. Okay, I have an example of something happened that happened a few weeks ago and it is not my area of expertise. Obviously, this parenting thing is not. I have one child. We are very lucky. We've done a lot of work with her, but she is a great kid, right? So I'm not I definitely, you know, I don't know. I I feel for the parents that have one child that you know, they're like, oh, she was so easy. And then the next child comes along and they're like, oh my gosh, it's a totally different experience. So I really feel for those parents. I do not have that experience, but I would like to ask you this is kind of one of those families. We were at the beach and their daughter did not want to share something with her big brother. And she just started screaming, like just screaming. So it was obvious that she was very upset and it was a big deal to her. But the parents needed her to share something. They couldn't just say, okay, no problem. Right. And they didn't want to give into it anyway. So what would you recommend parents do in that situation? The kids are a little bit older. They're not toddlers anymore. That when we were talking about big emotions earlier, that was the first thing that popped in my head, like this, like screaming. I think that's all what we think of at the beginning. That's what I was thinking with big emotions, but what would you recommend parents do in a situation like this, where it's quite obvious their child is having a meltdown. They're feeling embarrassed in public, you know, with another family sitting there with them. I'm just curious, cause I know lots of people are dealing with a situation like this. So absolutely,
1: absolutely. I think sharing is unique. I'll put that on the side though. Okay. I'm not a big believer we make our kids share because that's okay. not what we do in real life. Like if I'm going to, sh- if I have a book, And my husband says, I want to read that book. I don't think, okay, I'm going to stop and give you the book. I say, okay, I'll give it to you when I'm done. But that's a kind of an aside. But to answer your question, what happens when you want your child to do something and what you request that they do, they melt down. To me, that's actually good news because here's one of the things that I teach is that when kids are upset, they they're basically dysregulated and their brain has gone into fight or flight. When they're upset, the brain has seen that upset as a threat. Their fight or flight response has kicked in and has actually shut off the responsible part of the brain. So when kids are upset, they can't be responsible. But here's what's interesting is what happens is when they are allowed to have those feelings and they sort of release them, eventually they're going to get out of fight or flight and they're going to do what we want them to do. And this kind of goes back to what I was saying before with getting your shoes on. You let them let these feelings out. And they actually, once the once they, I call, I, I describe this as a curve, like, their feelings get bigger, they reach a peak and they come down. Once they travel this curve, they can re-access the responsible part of the brain. So what we actually need to do when kids get upset because we set a boundary like you need to share or um, no, you can't have that for dessert is we need to let them be upset. We need to let them let those feelings out. And what's gonna happen is the feelings will end. They do not last forever. And that's when they become their sort of normal, well-behaved selves again. What happens is they have an emotion And we get sucked into the emotion. And that's a problem because if we want our kids to travel that curve more quickly, they travel it more quickly when we are regulated. It's actually something in psychology we call co-regulation. When we are regulated, they release their emotions and they move on. But what happens is they get upset. We don't let them travel the curve. We're like, why are you so upset? You just need to share. That makes them more upset. It takes them longer to get out of the curve and it makes everything worse. So it's a very scientific answer to your question that if you say to a child share and they get upset, you let them be upset, you let them release, you don't get sucked into it. And once they've released, guess what's gonna happen? They're gonna share. That's how it goes. It's really that simple. It's just complicated by the fact that we don't like to see their emotions.
0: Yeah, and we don't like to be uncomfortable, right? I mean, I think it's hard for us to sit in uncomfort, uncomfort as well, right? I mean, and just so everybody knows, like we were sitting right there next to the family and we just kept quiet. Like we weren't, we just tried to be like, okay. You know, like try not to say anything, try not to look judgy, try, you know, cause again, I'm not judging. I love this family. They're fantastic yeah. by no that's means. Actually was normal I behavior. There, yeah. So. And by no means was I sitting there thinking like, Oh, they're terrible parents. Absolutely. That thought never went through my head, but I know that when you are the parent on the other side, cause trust me, my child's had her meltdowns too. You know, you do, you feel that moment right of just like oh my gosh everybody's going to think i'm a terrible parent and what what's going on and then you know it does suck you in so just for all the parents out there mm-hmm. i think other parents get it we've all been there we're not hopefully mm-hmm. we're not judging you i'm not judging you and here's the <laughs> thing too is that
1: what because parents do judge there's some parents who do yeah. judge and i actually help parents a lot with this because the more we internalize that i'm being judged the more we get riled up in our own mind, and then yeah. we can't help our child. So sometimes you're just going to get sucked in. But one of the, th- the mantras I actually tell parents is that people are going to judge you for 10 minutes tops. Someone in the grocery store is going to be two minutes. The judgment is temporary, but your relationship with your child is forever. Yes. So if you can remember, that judgment's going to end. Yeah. But the way you handle this is actually right. going to have a bigger impact.
0: Right. Agreed. And let's say just for devil's advocate's sake, right? Let's say that I was a judgy person and I see these people all the time, right? Let's say I was like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe they're doing, you know, let's just say I was not guys. Let's just say (laughs) even so, and I see these people all the time, even so my opinion doesn't matter, right? right? It doesn't matter that right. your relationship with your child matters and 100% on board, but like even yes, absolutely. The people in the grocery store, who cares? Like absolutely. Who cares? You're never going to see those people again. Even if you tried, you're never going to see those people again, right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. right. Even people that are friends, if, even if they have a moment of like, <laughs> who it's cares, true. It's true. who cares? I know it's easier said than done. Trust me. It but- is much easier. It
1: is much easier said than done. I, I just yeah. did a podcast episode on this actually, because it's so relevant. And I basically said, though, if you know what you're doing is right, It doesn't matter what they say. Like if you know, two plus two equals four and someone says no, two plus two equals five. You don't all of a sudden question yourself. You question them. Same thing with parenting. Just be in a place that you feel good enough that it doesn't matter what other people say. Mm. You feel like
0: you can handle it. I love that. That is great. So good. So good. Rachel, this has been wonderful. I'm, I'm super excited. Thank you. Okay. I have another one. another one that came from a listener and she was talking about, um, you know, a child that was very attached, you know, so we might've called this like a clingy child before, you know, so do you have advice for parents who have children that need a lot of attention or they need a lot of time together and maybe the parents don't feel like they have the bandwidth to give, you know, how can they help their children create a little more autonomy?
1: Yeah. So it depends on the age of the child big time. Okay. But what I will say is clinginess is a symptom of a child's inability to regulate themselves. Okay, They cling to parents because they're struggling in some way, maybe struggling with the parent leaving, whatever it is more anxious and sensitive kids tend to be more clingy. They have trouble regulating. So they're using the parents to regulate. That's why they're clingy. Mm-hmm. So ultimately the solution is to teach that child to regulate themselves. And there are ways you can do this with young kids, there are ways you can do this with older kids. So it would definitely depend on the age, but that's ultimately the, the long lasting, the long game strategy is to teach them to regulate themselves. And they don't, then they don't rely on the parent. They can be nervous, but they can still soothe themselves. But what I will say is in the meantime, a lot of clingy parents will say, well, I can't get a babysitter. I can't do this for myself because my child is so clingy. But that's exactly when you do need to set those boundaries even more firmly and say, I have to get time for myself because if I'm with my child all the time and resentful of them because I'm exhausted and depleted, you're actually, your child is depending on you right now to help regulate and you're not going to be able to help them. And you're actually probably gonna make their anxiety bigger. If they're trying, to, if they're reaching to you to cling and you're feeling resentful, they're gonna sense that and it's actually gonna make them more dysregulated. So there's no guilt here. I'm not saying that to make anyone feel guilty. It's just the reality that clinginess is sort of an emotional regulation piece and we can't help them regulate if we are depleted and overwhelmed. Mm. We can't.
0: Yeah. Yep. It's that oxygen mask we've got to put ours on first, yes. and as hard as that would be, I can imagine. I've never been in the situation yeah. where I had to put my own oxygen mask on first in a real airplane situation, but That's I would it. imagine it would be very hard. And it is yeah. the same here. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to push you a little bit. I want to know a strategy we can use for younger children. Like if we're talking about younger children, because I'm pretty sure this listener had younger children. I want to give her something to work with.
1: So younger child, a younger child, like a drop off or something is clingy, or all the time, or
0: Um, I think it's more. Um, she works from home, and so she's having a hard time being able to, um, you know, get her work work done. Okay. Yeah.
1: Okay. Gotcha. Mm -hmm. So then I would need to know. And it is parenting, obviously, is very individualized. Younger than four. What's
0: that? Younger than four
1: but more of, okay. is this a stimulation issue or an anxiety issue? Uh, because some kids are clingy because they don't know how to entertain themselves. And they'll look okay. to parents for entertainment. Some kids are clinging because they're anxious and they're looking to, cl- but that's what I was just mentioning uh-huh. is the anxiety piece. So probably I will say this realistically, a four-year-old is not going to be able to be alone for that no, long. Of course so- not. So no, 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 for that great. long for a parent to get a lot of work done is what I was saying Not that the parent is leaving them alone. <laughs> to get a lot of work done. Yeah. realistically, you may be able to get a half an hour once a day with okay. a four- year old. So if the clinginess is I'm trying to get like two or three hours of work done, and I want my four-year-old to play independently, they're probably not going to be able to do that because they don't have that much of an attention span. So it kind of depends on what that cleanness is. I made the assumption it. that it was anxiety related, but if it's like stimulation related, they just don't have the capacity to entertain themselves for that long.
0: Okay. And yeah. what if it is the, like, like a drop-off, like they're having a hard time? It's like... a lot
1: easier. Oh, okay. It's a Ooh, lot that's easier. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's a lot easier because that's also, that's actually more realistic than asking a child to kind of, Entertain themselves so we can get things done. Sure, of course. What what happens when with uh, a, a um, drop off is you can actually it helps kids to have like a ritual during drop off. Remember, I was saying they're dysregulated and that's why they're clingy. Ritual and predictability and routines actually soothe kids. So if you have a ritual, especially where you give them a little bit of control, like one of the rituals, I, I have an anxious child. One, she's not so much anymore, but um, when she was really young, we would have a ritual and she would actually push me out of the door of her preschool. So it was like, she's pushed, she has the control. And then the next step, this is also really important if you can, to get the teacher to give them a job once they go into the classroom. Mm. So if the teacher says, Hey, can you be my blah, blah, blah helper? That gives them something to focus on other than their nerves or whatever they're anxious about, or the fact that mom just left. So you have a ritual, you end it with something the child's in control of, and then you have the teacher give them something to do. And that can make that drop off so much easier.
0: Oh, those are some fantastic tips. Okay. Everybody listening that has kids that drop off age is just loving that one right now. I absolutely know it. So fantastic. I think we should end there. I think that's a wonderful, like, just like a chef's kiss on the top and gives people something very actionable that they can take into their life. And I think that we can extrapolate that for a little bit older for children. If we're looking, if our children are a little bit older and past that preschool age, we can definitely look at still doing that for other options as well. All right. So Rachel, where can people find you? Because I know they're going to want to get some more info on this. Yeah. And if you like those practical tips, cause that's
1: actually what I'm usually about. My podcast is by the best way. Cause that my podcast is full of like really short episodes, 15 minutes or less where I give super practical tips like that. So my podcast is called your parenting long game.
0: Love it, absolutely yeah. love it. Yes, I love tactical. I'm a very yeah. tactical girl myself. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so your parenting long game. We'll make sure we link to it in the show notes so that you can find it and find Rachel. And we'll have all links to all your things, your website and everything. Yeah, my social well. media, all that stuff. I'm yep. all over there too. All of that will be there, so make sure you guys check it out. And then my favorite way to end these interviews is with three rapid fire questions. So my first, because this is the want to be minimalist show, is to ask, what does minimalism mean? to you?
1: So it's funny because we didn't talk about this much, but to me, minimalism is really about being aligned with yourself Mm. and knowing what you value, what's important to you and sort of getting rid of the rest and not taking on the junk that we usually take on that people tell us we should be or tell us we should do. It's really about knowing what matters to you and trying to tune out the rest and being minimalist based on what matters to you.
0: Mm, That's a good one. I like it. said that very nicely. Um, and number two is what's one of your favorite pieces of advice about, you know, parenting or just life in general that you'd like to share today that maybe you didn't get a chance to,
1: um, I think it's actually, it's, it goes along with what we were saying, but I think power comes in being able to handle discomfort. Honestly, the people, I always believe that confidence doesn't come from in our kids and in ourselves. It doesn't come from being good at things. It comes from knowing I can handle discomfort. If you know you can handle discomfort, you are going to be able to conquer the world. So I think that's probably one of the things I was trying to think about.
0: Ah, that's really good. So you guys, it's okay for your kids to be uncomfortable. Look, it's you're just necessary. making future leaders.
1: <laughs> it's necessary for your kids to be uncomfortable. And that's right. when they
0: learn how they can have
1: feelings and they're going to be okay.
0: Oh, so good. All right. And my last one is what is making you happy right now or in this season of your life?
1: Oh, that one's really easy. We moved. I was just saying we moved and we now live in a neighborhood that's like, like a park, like there's a lake and there's trees and just nature for me is my happy place. I love, we go for walks every day and I just absolutely love being in nature.
0: Oh, that's so nice. I can just picture it. Oh, that feels so wonderful. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been a pleasure and, um, I just hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right. Cheers. Wasn't that great. I loved her 30,000 overview about teaching your kids about how to have their emotions, but without being controlled or overwhelmed by them. I mean, heck, it's something that I still struggle with as an adult sometimes, so it was great to touch on that and to talk about how we, you know, shouldn't get triggered or how we can avoid getting triggered when our kids do or say something that gives us, you know, all of those unpleasant feels, right? Not on top of that. I mean, there were so many other great points. It's really hard for me to pick any more out that I really loved. I mean, I feel like I could have talked with Rachel for hours, but I want to hear what you thought. I would love for you to come on over to the wannabe minimalist family group on Facebook and share your favorite tip, your aha moment or advice that you're going to implement in your home. And I know that I mentioned this last week too, but school is starting up for children all over the U.S. and in the next few weeks, if it hasn't started already, which ours actually started this week. So this time of year tends to bring up all of those feelings for our kids, right? Lots and lots of feelings. There's excitement, there's nervousness, there's joy, there's anxiety, there's, you know, all sorts of different things. And this year, our daughter is even going to a new school. So there were just all those unknowns that she just wasn't prepared for. So it's a mixed bag of emotions. And so helping our children be able to feel these and not get overwhelmed with them, it's so important. It's more important than ever. And I know we all want them to do well in their endeavors and being able to handle their emotions um, is one way that we can help them. So, of course, a big special thank you to Rachel for joining us on the show today and for sharing some just amazing advice. We all know now that this path wasn't her original plan, but I am thrilled that we are all getting to benefit from her professional pivot. Remember, she has a podcast too, so make sure that you check that out. There is a link in the show notes, so head on over to wannabeclutterfree.com slash 114. Again, that's wannabeclutterfree.com forward slash the number 114 to get all of her information and find out more about Rachel and your parenting long game, her podcast. And as always, thank you for joining me too. If you made it this far, I would be thrilled if you left me a review on Apple Podcast. Your reviews make my day and it helps me be able to book more guests on the show for you to discover and learn from. And with that, I hope you have an absolutely fabulous day. I'll see you back here next week when I will be talking capsule wardrobes and ethical fashion with Christy Sumer from the clothing brand Encircled. I'm Deanna Yates and you've been listening to the Wannabe Minimalist Show. Cheers.